West Bowles, good morning. Thank you so much. We're glad you are joining us this morning, especially if it's your first time. Despite what that guy up here earlier said, my name is Thomas Fitzpatrick. I'm the senior pastor of <laughs> West Bowles. I am totally kidding. Thomas Fitzpatrick is way taller than me. Uh, my name is Nathan Harrison, and Thomas is on a much-deserved one-week break this week. Um, but next week, he'll be back up here. Just about a month ago, Thomas got us started here on a series here at the church called Sacred Letters. And what that is, we are going through the red letter words of the Bible. Those are the words of Jesus. And we just believe that those words have the power and the potential to impact every area of our lives, everywhere we go, every person we come across, including ourselves. And so we're going to continue talking about that this morning. And I guess the best way to get that conversation going is to tell you a story about these guys. Van Halen. Van Halen, all right? Now, before we get to that story, I just want you to look at the hair up there. Um, that's really the goal for my hair. I'm going I'm to grow it out, and whichever hairstyle it matches, I'm going to go with it. So it's actually called the Nathan Harrison Van Halen Long Hair Bucket Challenge. And I would like to nominate Thomas Fitzpatrick, John Burns, and Paul Eldridge. I mean, can you imagine what that would look like? Actually, you don't have to imagine what it looks like. Look on screen and you'll see exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I'm thinking Paul, Thomas, and John look very believable. Mine, mine's getting there. Um, that may be all we need to see this morning. We could pray and just, just get out of here. Oh, well, let me tell you a story about Van Halen because I think it sets the stage perfectly for what we're talking about this morning. 30 years ago, Van Halen was on a tour across the United States and they were in New Mexico and showed up at this concert venue and they walked in to the backstage into the dressing room and on this table there was a bowl of M&Ms. In that bowl of M&Ms, there were a bunch of brown M&Ms and because there were a bunch of brown M&Ms, Van Halen actually messed up the dressing room stormed out of the concert venue, canceled the concert, and demanded to be paid. Well, you can imagine the media got a hold of this, and there was a very public backlash against Van Halen. The public said, what a bunch of divas. I mean, this is exactly what we would expect from a bunch of prima donna rock stars. And so they decided to try to boycott their concerts anytime they came to town, but there was a problem. The public hadn't been given the whole story. See, in those days, when a rock and roll band showed up at a concert venue, usually they'd show up with one or two semis full of sound and lighting equipment. Van Halen would show up with nine 18-wheelers full of sound and lighting equipment. Well, you can imagine that much equipment, there were, there were a lot of technical specifications that had to be met. And there were a lot of safety precautions that had to be taken. And so as a result of that, the contract between Van Halen and any concert venue they played at was much, much longer than any contract at that time. And they needed to be sure that that contract had been gone through in complete detail. Because not to would mean disaster. And so what they did is they buried in the middle of that contract one item that said, in our dressing room, there should be a bowl full of M&Ms. And then in further detail, with all the brown M&Ms removed. See, this wasn't picky, prima donna rock star behavior. This was the band's way of being able to walk into a concert venue 
and within 30 to 60 seconds know if that contract had been read down to the detail. And if that detail had been missed, then chances are other details had been missed. Now, this is not, the point of the story is not to make you look at Van Halen and go, wow, what a lovely, responsible group of young men. <laughs> the point of this story is we don't always see the whole story. We don't always see everything. There's often more than meets the eye, and that's difficult for you and for me because every single person in here is walking around with a preferred way of seeing things. It's called an opinion. It's called an assumption. It's called a point of view. And we live according to that way of seeing things. Now, I have a question for you. What if reality is different from our preferred way of seeing things? What if those opinions, what if those assumptions, what if those points of view, just like the public in New Mexico discovered, what if those aren't the whole story? What if there's more than meets the eye? I know that's not fun to think about because that might mean I need to adjust my way of seeing things and as a result, my way of living. But wouldn't you want to know? I mean, wouldn't you want to know if you were going through life just with this, uh, this opinion of reality that's not really reality? Well, that's exactly what happened in the story we're going to look at this morning. It's in John chapter 1. And we're going to see a man who just didn't have the whole story. He'd formed an opinion, an assumption, a viewpoint, and it was just different than reality. But the incredible thing about this story is when he discovered reality, well, it was through the sacred letter words of Jesus. And it changed his way of seeing things, and it changed his life. And those words have the power to change our lives as well. And so, we are in John chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 45. And here's what's happened up to this point. Jesus is calling his disciples. And so he's called a guy named Andrew. He's called a guy named Peter. And he's just called a guy named Philip. And within Philip, there is some excitement about Jesus. So much that he's got to go tell somebody. And so that's where we pick up. Verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so you can feel the excitement in Philip here. Philip is saying, look, remember the one that Moses wrote about thousands of years ago? We found him. Remember the one that the prophets have been writing about and talking about for hundreds of years? We found him. And he's alive right now during our lives and for all the excitement about this for Philip, there was this giant letdown for Nathaniel. See, for Nathaniel, this probably felt like it felt like for me a few weeks ago when our three-year-old daughter ran up to me and she said, Dad, we have a really exciting day today. We're going to go to the park. And I'm going, uh-huh. And we're going to feed some geese. And I'm going, uh-huh. And then we're going to the dentist. <sighs> And I just went, you had me. You had me until there. See, for our three-year-old, her past experience of the dentist is she goes there and she leaves with a prize out of the toy bin. When I go to the dentist, I leave with sore gums and a filling. And there's an obstacle to the excitement for me. And there was an obstacle to the excitement for Nathaniel. Look what it was. Verse 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? See, regardless of whether it was a past experience or something else, Nathaniel had an opinion about Nazareth. 
Some people think he was from another small town in the region and there was some small town rivalry, but something didn't sit well with Nathaniel about Nazareth. And he asked this question that is so familiar for all of us. Can anything good come from there? See, we all have a Nazareth in our life, or 10 of them. In Nazareth, for you and me, it's those places in life, it's those seasons of life, it's the things we go through, it's the people in our lives, that after enough interactions and enough experiences, you start to see a pattern emerge. And it's real easy for us to close ourselves off to the possibility of anything good coming from Nazareth and focus on the probability of something bad coming from Nazareth. And we form an opinion, an assumption, a point of view that causes us to ask the question oftentimes, can anything good come from there? See, because of the things we've seen, we form a way of seeing things. I was born in Michigan. We spent a whopping one year of my life in Michigan. And even though we left Michigan, when it comes to rooting for sports teams, Michigan never left me. In fact, at the risk of losing the entire audience right now, I like the Detroit Red Wings, all right? Oh, security, get them out, all right. I still draft Barry Sanders onto my fantasy team every single year because I think this is the year he's coming out of retirement and he's taking the Detroit Lions to a Super Bowl victory. And I'm still basking in the glory, David Perez, of the Detroit Pistons dominating the Los Angeles Lakers in the 2004 NBA Finals 10 years ago. David's a Laker fan. But if there's one team that I will throw my heart behind when it comes to cheering for Michigan sports, it's the Michigan Wolverines. And the Mich oh, stop, stop. <laughs> the Michigan Wolverines are part of what is considered one of the greatest rivalries in all of sports. And it's Michigan versus Ohio State. Now, there's a lot, <laughs> stop, all right. <laughs> There is a lot of bad blood between these two teams, and not just between the teams, but between the fans. And I could say from personal experience, I feel the same about Ohio State fans because of what they've done. I've had shoe polish on my car from them. I've been screamed at in public when I'm wearing a Michigan shirt by Ohio State fans. And the trash talk is just out of this world, okay? I want you to think about this. If your mascot was the Ohio State mascot, that's a Buckeye. Do you know what a Buckeye is? According to Ohio State's website, a buckeye is a nut off of a buckeye tree shaped like the eye of a deer. Okay, would you want that to represent your football team or your basketball team? And would you talk trash if that was your mascot? And yet they do it all the time. I guess you could say because of what I've seen from Ohio State fans, I've got a way of seeing Ohio State fans and a lot of people from Ohio. It's the way Michigan fans see Ohio State. It's the way Broncos fans see Oakland. It's the way Nathaniel saw Nazareth. And so what is Philip's response to Nathaniel's statement and his question about Nazareth? It's not what you and I would be tempted to do. There's no arguing, there's no debating, there's no defending, there's no explaining. Instead, end of verse 46, look what Philip says. Come and see, said Philip. Come and see. Do you know what that's a statement of? That is a statement of tremendous confidence in who Jesus is. 
that statement, with that statement, Philip is saying, Nathaniel, when you see who Jesus is, it won't matter where he's from. And by not explaining any further, Philip is it's as if he's acknowledging inside that for all that I could say about Jesus, it doesn't do justice to what you will see about Jesus if you come see him. See, to Philip, he just knew some things just, you just have to come and see. We were in California with the youth group this summer and in Venice Beach, this kid from the youth group ran up to me and he said, Nathan, you have to come see this. There is a two-headed turtle and a guy's charging money to see it. <laughs> and I just went, oh, I've seen this before, okay? This is a scam. He's like, no, you just got to come see it. I said, no, just tell me about it. He said, no, I'm telling you, you have got to come see it. So against my better judgment, I walked over expecting to see like a cardboard head taped onto the neck of a turtle. And you know what I saw? I saw a two-headed turtle. It exists. In fact, if you're ever out in Venice Beach, ask about the two-headed turtle, go see it. It's amazing. It's not Jesus amazing, but it is two-headed turtle amazing, all right? You've got to go see it. And you've got to give Nathaniel credit here. Because despite all he thought he knew about Nazareth, he went. And you can bet he was so glad he did because of the sacred letter words that he was met with when Jesus saw him. Look at verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. These are the first words that Nathanael ever heard out of the mouth of Jesus. And we, I know it's tempting to just skip by these. We think, oh, those were for Nathaniel, not for me. But you can't miss the enormity of this statement because it was big for Nathaniel and it's big for you and me because it gives us a glimpse into how Jesus sees us. Okay, come back to this phrase. Here is a true Israelite. That term Israelite, that means that Nathaniel descended from, comes from what place? Israel, good, all right, we're getting there, okay. Now, follow this. Israel, before Israel was ever a place, it was a, it was, somebody said it, it was a person. It was a person, and before that person was ever named Israel, do you remember what they were named? Jacob. And maybe you remember what Jacob is remembered for. I mean, there are a lot of things, but there's that one story where he stole his brother Esau's birthright in exchange for a bowl of stew. And then he tricked their father into giving him the blessing that comes with the birthright. See, Jacob was full of deceit. Now, with that fact in mind, come back to Jesus' statement. Here is a true Israelite. Here is one who comes from, descends from, a background of deceit in whom there is no deceit. Wow. So this is not a statement that, that Nathaniel is perfect and sinless. This is a statement that Jesus is making that says, you know what, Nathaniel, you may hold where I come from against me, but I don't hold where you come from against you. Nathaniel, Nazareth may be the main thing you see when you look at me, but deceit and sin, 
That's not the main thing I see when I look at you. In other words, Nathaniel, the way you look at things, that's not the way that I look at you. And we're reminded here that our way of seeing things is totally, completely surprised by the way that Jesus sees us. I've known Bob and Jan Fugler for well over a decade. And in the process of getting to know Bob and Jan Fugler, I've gotten to talk to Bob and I've discovered that he is a huge college football fan. And like me, he likes to root for teams that represent the places that he's been from. And so one day I was talking to him about the places he's been from and he listed off some places. And then he said, and then Jan and I spent 11 years in Ohio. <laughs> and then, I don't know, there was, there was like three or four minutes after that that I didn't hear because all I heard was Ohio, 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 Ohio. And all I could think was Ohio. Can anything good come from there? And as I've gotten to know Bob, it's everything I thought about people from Ohio. It's true, you know? <laughs> The dilemma occurs when you talk to Jan. Here's this sweet, loving, caring woman from Ohio. It doesn't equate. Bob, I'm just kidding. If you know Bob and Jan Fugler, if you've gotten to see and experience what Jesus has done through them here at the church, you'd agree. It is good. Through Bob as an elder, through Jan and her involvement in the women's ministry, but even church stuff aside, what Jesus has done through them in people's lives has been good. And I know I can say that personally. Here's this couple that looks at this guy from Michigan. And I guess you could say that my way of seeing Ohio State and people from Ohio, it's been, it's been surprised by the way this couple from Ohio sees me. And that's what Nathaniel is experiencing here with Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't only surprise the way we see things. Something else happens here. Look at verse 48. Nathaniel, clearly surprised, says, how do you know me? How do you know me? It's as if he just got a text message on his cell phone from a number that's not in his list of contacts of people he knows. We've all had that happen. And you think, well, who is this? And then you think, how do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus explains. Look at this, what, what Jesus says next. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, I don't know. I don't know if Jesus literally saw Nathaniel under a fig tree or if this was figurative, but there is something so powerful in this about the way Jesus sees us. There's a word in there, before. That is Nathaniel, before you ever doubted me because of Nazareth, Nathaniel, before Philip ever called you, Nathaniel, before any man ever noticed you, I saw you. And as I read this, I was reminded of another time that God has used the word before. It was when he called the prophet Jeremiah. You remember what he said? He said, before I formed you in the womb, I, and he uses the word that Nathaniel asked about, I knew you. Now, something flipped a switch inside Nathaniel. Something about this statement sent a signal to Nathaniel that said, wow, here is one who knows me far more deeply than anyone I've ever known. 
And then you see the effect of it. Look at verse 49. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Okay, what? Three verses ago, Nathanael, you were saying, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And now, Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel. All in one statement. That is an instant change. An instant 180 from one end of the spectrum to the other. And here we get a reminder that Jesus doesn't just surprise the way we see things. He changes the way we see things when we're in his presence. Now, it's one thing to hear about that change. It's one thing to read about that change. I want you to feel that change. Watch this video. Tomorrow night, Robinson Cano, the former New York Yankee All-Star second baseman, uh, returns to Yankee Stadium for the first time since he left for a 10-year, $240 million contract with the Seattle Mariners. Now, obviously, Cano's going to hear a, lot, a fair share of booze when he steps up to the plate tomorrow, and uh, well, that could be jarring for any player. So that's why, uh, to get him used to it, we sent Robinson Cano out to the streets of New York <laughs> to get booed by actual Yankee fans. But here's the catch. The fans thought they were just booing a cardboard cutout of Robinson Cano. <laughs> they didn't realize that the real Robinson Cano was standing right behind it. <laughs> Their reactions are pretty great. Check it out. Hi, I'm Robinson Cano, and I'm about to get booed by some Yankees fan. All right, well, we have this picture of him right behind you, so whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo it as much as you want. Boo! You know what? You no longer welcome here. Bye. Try again. You no longer. <laughs> oh, that too. There you go. Try doing it one more time. Boo! Stay in Seattle. We don't need you in New York. Hey! How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, come on. Boo! You're better than that. You got a, a beard now? You're better than that. Boo! Boo! Actually, try one more. One more? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> Listen, about that, right? Here's what happened. Boo! You suck! That was awesome. Maybe try, try it again. Should I try it again? Yeah. How you doing, Robbie? Welcome back to New York. Thank you. Be back, right? Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Did you see that instant change? One conversation, one moment, one experience in the presence of Jesus. And Nathaniel was instantly and totally changed. Changed his mind, changed his heart, changed his way of seeing things. And you want to know what the craziest thing about this is? Is Nathaniel almost missed it. Because at the mention of Nazareth, the opinion, the assumption, the way of seeing things, it came to the surface. And Nathaniel could have moved on, but he would have missed out. He would have missed out on those sacred letter words of Jesus. He would have missed out on hearing 
just how deeply Jesus knew him. And he would have missed out on the drastically altered life that came as a result of that. Now, let me ask you a question. Don't you want that? I mean, don't you want that life? Don't you want that experience? Don't you want to be able to look at the places you are in life, the seasons of life that you're in? Don't you want to look at what you're going through? Don't you want to look at the people in your life? And maybe that includes you. Don't you want to be able to look at all that and see all of that the way Jesus sees all of that? It might mean admitting that reality is different from my preferred way of seeing things. But I think if Nathaniel was standing here, he would tell you, it's worth it. In fact, Nathaniel, literally, Nathan is standing here telling you, it's (laughs) worth it. You want to see as Jesus sees? Look past what you can see. You want to see things the way Jesus sees things? Then you've got to look past what you can see. Write that down, repeat it, remind yourself of it. And the reason I tell you to do that is because that all sounds real nice right now on Sunday morning while we're all together. But I'm telling you, Wednesday is coming. Wednesday, after Monday and Tuesday have beat you up a little bit or a lot, it's coming. And if it's not Wednesday, it's going to be next month or it might be next year. But a time in life is coming in which you're going to look around at life and all you're going to be able to see is Nazareth. And you're going to be tempted to form an opinion, an assumption, a point of view that causes you to ask the question, can anything good come from there? Can anything good come from a breakup? Can anything good come from strained friendships and relationships? Can anything good come from financial struggles or joblessness or health issues? Can anything good come from any of that? And the answer is yes, definitely yes. But to see that, you have to be able to see as Jesus sees. And guess what? You don't have the power to do that. And I don't have the power to do that. Jesus is the only one who can allow us to see as he sees. But you know what? We can get ourselves in a position for him to do that. And that means looking past what you can see and what I can see. In other words, this is not about making more observations, taking down more notes about life or anything like that. This is about being more open, more open to do, what did Nathaniel do? Come and see. So this week, I want you to come and see. I want you to open this up. And despite what you think you know about your Nazareth in your life, and despite what you think you know that this says, Guess what? He has something to say. And he has something for you to see if we'll just open his word up. So that's the first thing I want you to do. Second thing I want you to do is open up to somebody about your Nazareth. Open up about the Nazareth or Nazareths in your life. See, something happens when we just stay in our own little world. All we can see is what we can see. So I want you to go open up to somebody and maybe see something different than what you can see. Now, I think Jesus knew this would be incredibly difficult for us to do. I think he knew it'd be hard. And so you know what I think he did? I think at the end of this conversation with Nathaniel, he tacked on a reward. 
for anybody who does this. I think he knew that one day we'd be looking back on this conversation and he added something. And he's saying to Nathaniel, now that you see as I see, I wanna show you what I see. And you know what Jesus sees? Look at verse 50. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. And then verse 51, he then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Now, I know that sounds like kind of weird imagery, but that imagery, those exact words that Jesus is using there, that's a direct reference to a dream that a man had centuries before this. You know who that man was? Jacob. Jacob, full of deceit, Jacob. He laid down one day in a place called Bethel and he fell asleep and he had this dream. He dreamed that the glory of heaven opened up and angels were ascending and descending on this staircase or this ladder. Maybe you've heard of Jacob's ladder. That's what it is. He saw them ascending and descending. And when he woke up from the dream, he said, surely this is a place where man connects with God. And so he, he, that he always remembered that place. And now centuries later, here we have Jesus talking to a descendant of Jacob and he's saying, Nathaniel, I am that place. I'm that place where you find a connection with your heavenly father and all of his glory. Can you imagine the excitement inside of Jesus as he's talking to Nathaniel and as he's looking at you and he's looking at me? He's saying, look, I know all you see is Nazareth right now, but there's something on the other side of it. I mean, the excitement, I, I think the closest thing I could compare it to was July 26th, 2001. I was sitting next to my, at the time, girlfriend, Kara Christensen, and uh, we had had some conversations about getting married. And we were young, I was 14, she was 11. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we were young. I was 21, she was 18. And I had two weeks prior to that conversation asked her parents for her hand in marriage. And the week before that, I had ordered a ring, but I wanted to surprise her. I was planning on proposing to her that next week, but uh, this question about marriage, what just kind of caught me off guard. And I mean, she really wanted to marry me. Remember that, honey? He's, <laughs> no? <laughs> me either, okay. Um, <laughs> but I said, I don't know, I just, I have a lot of growing up and maturing to do, and that's still true today, actually. Um, but I can't see myself being ready for about five to seven years. Well, how do you think that went? <laughs> I think for about five days she didn't talk to me, but during that five days, I mean, you can imagine the anticipation I was feeling. I was thinking, if you could just see what I see, there is a diamond ring on the other end of this. That's how Jesus was looking at Nathaniel, and it's how he looks at you and me. He says, look, I know all you see is Nazareth right now. I know that's all you can see. But if you can just look past what you can see, if you'll allow me to change the way you see, there's a diamond ring on the other end of this. And it is a connection with your heavenly father and all of his glory. But it starts with looking past what you can see. Let's pray. Father, Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are a God 
who is so patient with us. With all of our viewpoints and our ways of seeing things, you see deeper. You know us more deeply than any of that. And so thank you that you are a God who in your mercy and in your love for us, you continue to walk with us and show us that if we could just look past what we could see, we would see as you see. And then we'd see and experience the diamond ring on the other end of that, a connection with you and all your glory. Keep that on our hearts in the week to come, in the months to come, in the years to come. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Make sure you leave a dollar on your way out for the power of one. We'll see you next Sunday.